Turn with me with this morning to John chapter 21. We'll be reading verses 1 through verse 11. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on this wise showed he himself. There were together Simon Peter and Thomas called Didymus, and Nathanael of Canaan of Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said unto them, I go fishing. They say unto him, We also go with thee. They went forth and entered into a ship immediately, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples knew not that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, Children, have ye any meat? They answered him, None. And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw in for the multitude of fishes. Therefore the disciples, whom Jesus loved, said unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girded on his fisherman's coat upon himself, and, he, and for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. And other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far off from the land, but as it were two hundred cubits, dragging the net with fishes. As soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Jesus said unto them, Bring the fish which you have now caught. Simon Peter went up and drew the net to the land, full of great fishes, and hundred and fifty and three. And for all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Lord, again we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you give us often times of rest and respite, where we can think of the past and think of our history and all the things you've blessed us with and helped us to see, Lord, backwards, that you were always with us. You've never left us, but, Lord, you've been true to your word. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, this morning, as we look at chapter 21, I would say that chapter 21 is much of a, an appendix. Jesus has raised from the grave. Remember that morning? Now it's two, been two, two Sundays. It's probably about 8, 10, 12 days now since Christ had been married met with Mary. And remember, he had told her to go tell his disciples that I'm going before you and I want you to meet me in Galilee. Now here, John is writing around the, the year 67, 68. A lot of things have happened. History's gone by. And so he gives the Roman name as well and they understand the, the Hebrew name. Galilee has now become known as the Sea of Tiberias as Pilate is seeking to build a city in honor of the, the Roman Caesar. So they know where he's going to. They've gone probably close to where Peter and his family lived, very close to John and James. Remember, this is a very close-knit little group. 
He mentions seven people here, doesn't give two of their names, but all of them are from Galilee. For the most part, the disciples of Christ had close connections. Remember, Peter, James, and John, all of them are in a business together. Their fathers and uh, own this fishing business. James and John are both cousins to Jesus. Jesus is even first cousins with John the Baptist who initiates his ministry in baptizing him. And so we see all these little ins and outs and connection with there. They've all lived there. Jesus, apart from the first four years of his life, grew up in Nazareth, which was not far from where his aunt Elizabeth and his uncle Zechariah were. It is there in Canaan, not very far from Nazareth, where Jesus turns water into wine. So you can see the background as Jesus has brought them together. It's as though these are soldiers getting ready to go into a foreign land. And before they go, and generally this is true in, in our military, if you're going off for a long stint, they will give you a two or three week time off so that you can go home and get everything in order. Say your goodbyes before you leave. As I say, this is an appendix. Jesus has given them this time. He's now giving them 40 days. And if you go to Acts chapter 1, you find that in these 40 days before Christ ascends from the earth to heaven to be coronated at the right hand of His Father... Jesus is with the apostles that says He did many wonders in their presence at this time. Remember, Jesus is in some sense setting and preparing them for what is about to happen. He's already told them He must go back to His Father. He will not be with them in the flesh. And so for these 40 days, He's with them. And then afterwards, He'll have 10 days until the day of Pentecost in which their work now explodes. And they will no longer be able to go home and go fishing and do those things. They are now going to be God's fishermen. Going to again put in their dragnets to drag men, as it were, into the kingdom of God and their work is before them. He's already told them these kingdom parables of which one is the story of a dragnet as well as a wheat field. And so now they are there together and they're sitting on the shoreline, there's no doubt, because Peter sees a boat. Peter is somebody who does not want to just sit around and do nothing. He's got to be doing something. And so we see Peter, as he sees this boat, Jesus is nowhere to be seen. And so I think in his mind, he says, here's our boat. Maybe this is the family boat. I, I would rather think it probably is, as it's setting in the harbor there, not far off from the shore. And so now Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. And the rest of those men with him say, we will also go with you. And so now Christ, in the background, as God, is directing all things. The men plan, but it is God who brings the conclusion to its end. His purposes will stand. And therefore now God 
through Christ is driving them and preparing them for what is coming in their ministries. And he's also telling them and showing them pictures of the kingdom of God that Christ has called them to initiate in the new kingdom. And so now Simon and Peter them are there. And so now Simon Peter sees this boat. Now what does he see as we thinking about what they're talking about? Christ has already said, I'm leaving. Forty days, then Pentecost, and you will see me no more. And so now as they're looking about them, no doubt they're thinking backwards. He sees this boat. This boat was a very essential piece of equipment not only as they were fishermen, and that's how they made their livelihood, but it was also part of the life of Christ and the twelve as Jesus was with them. It was in this little boat where Jesus preached one of His first sermons. He was sat in the back, and that was the custom then. The teacher would sit, and He would teach to others. As He sat, and they stood up and listened. We see him as he's in the back of this boat and as he gives a sermon. It's not probably very far from where he got off of a boat, walked up a hill, and he preached the Sermon on the Mount, that great sermon that we know so well in Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It was in this boat that Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee with his disciples several times. Several times in the midst of a storm, remember Christ was sleeping in the back of this boat. Everything was fine with Him, but they thought they were getting ready to sink to the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, and so they wake Him to calm the sea. They are wrestling another night in this very boat as the winds are coming down out of the, out of the mountains like a hurricane. And Christ comes walking on the water. And Peter bids Christ to call him so that he can walk on the water. Several times, this boat is very influential in Christ's life and in their ministry as Christ calls them from their nets to be fishers of men. And so we can see that, that back, this little bit of nostalgia as he thinks back into his life. And so now for this moment, they're thinking, well, we're going to go fishing. Now, did they have ideas that, man, we're going to catch a lot of fish. We're just going to have a good time. We'll come back and we'll have a fire. We'll cook them on, on the hot coals and have an enjoyable time as we're getting ready now to begin our ministries. Well, things didn't turn out. Now remember, God's showing them something. They are not in control of the issues of life. We think so often we are. We make plans, but God disposes of what's going to happen. And it is with them. They have nothing to do with success or failure in this little time. I'm going to go fishing. What's the worst? We'll catch a few fish. But they stay out all night long. They plan. They think they'll go fishing for a while. But now the night has come. They've probably got into this ship, this boat, three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon. Night was not uncommon for them to fish through the night. They have their nets there already in the boat. 
And so now they've been fishing all night long. We're told they keep fishing and fishing. It's now been eight, ten hours. The sun is breaking and they have caught nothing. Now, God doesn't tell us what they were thinking. Was this just a failed jaunt? A bad idea? A waste of time. See, we so often think of tongues as being a waste of time because nothing positive, as far as we see, comes out of it. Jesus is putting them through test. He's preparing them for their work because God has called them to a work in which they have no idea what the end will be. There will be lots of time when not much happens. There will be time when great things happen. But they need to be ready to obey God. And now as the morning comes, they see a figure walking on the shore. It's not quite sun up. It's like Mary coming at 5 o'clock in the morning to the tomb. She can't see in. The sun's not up, but it's coming up. She can't look in and see what's in the tomb. She can't determine who Jesus is when He's standing there talking to her. Well, these men are much in the same situation that Mary was. They can see a figure, and I think there's some, some psychological, we would say psychological things going on. There's something about this figure they see walking on the shore. They can't quite tell who it is, but there's something that says He's not a stranger. We don't know who he is, but he's somebody that's known to us. And now this man standing on the shore, as he's looking out into the Sea of Galilee, now we're told that they were at least 100 yards away. They were 200 cubits, which is, uh, again, 300 feet away. And that's general. Could have been 150 200 yards is the general area of where they would fish. Now, the Sea of Galilee was not always just dropped off deep. It could be much like if you go down to Miami and you've seen people catch these, these giant sailfish. Most of the water, you go out there miles and you can actually stand up in the bottom. See? The Sea of Galilee kind of was up and down that way. It would go off the shoreline maybe three, four feet, five, six, six feet, and then back up a little bit. It was very clear sea that you could see to the bottom. Very popular place for fish. And so now as this man is standing on the shore, they can see he's doing something. We know that Jesus has already started a fire. Does he have a griddle or just the ashes that he's cooking these fish on? It says bread and fish. Some people think it was a, some type of a, uh, a fish and bread mixture. Sort of like crab cakes, we would say. But with fish. And so now as he's there, now for some reason he speaks to the... Does he stand up and face them? Probably so, because he wants his voice to carry but they still don't know who it is. And notice he says something to them. And Jesus says, have you any meat? That is, do you have any food? Now, these are fishermen. They understand what they've done. This man that they're talking to, probably they figure he's not a fisherman. But they don't make any short talk 
but they listen to him and they answer his question. No, we haven't got any food. And he says unto them, cast the net on the right side of the ship and you shall find. Who in the world is this man? Has he never been fishing before? We have been on the sea all night long. We've been putting this net in. We've been taking this net out. This is probably a good-sized net. They've been laboring with it. Now the sun's coming up, and now they're probably getting frustrated and now thinking, oh, you know, maybe it's time to go. And this guy says, have you caught any fish? We say, no. You've been doing this all night long? Put your net on the other side of the boat. Wow. But notice, this man has something special in his demeanor. They listen to him. Remember, already we know that Jesus is one who speaks with authority because remember when the scribes and the Pharisees send out the temple policemen to arrest Christ, to bring them so they can question him, they come back and they don't have Christ. And the leaders of Israel said, Where is he? We sent you out to bring him back. And what do they say to him? No man ever spoke like this man. He speaks with authority. And I think this is something that kind of gets them in their innards, as it were. They realize this man is not normal. They haven't come to the fact to say that it's Jesus Christ yet. But someone is. And so now Jesus tells them to cast out their nets one more time on the other side of the boat. It says, And he said unto them, Cast the net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. Notice there's a command, cast your net on the other side, and here's the promise, you will find. Who is he? I think there's an inkling, but not anybody decisively enough to say, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now it says, they cast their net, and it says, and now there was a multitude of fish. There's a lesson that they are learning right now. God calls us to go into His field already in the sermons that He's spoken about the kingdom of God. He talks about a wheat field and the tares. He talks about the seed, the sower goes forth. He talks about, again, the soils that, fall, that the seed falls on. As he's building up a picture for them of the kingdom of God and their work in it, now he's also drawing a picture as we look at this. The sea is grand. It's great. It's large. It's filled with all types of fish and other animals that live in it. It's like the world. It's like the mustard seed, remember, that grows into a big bush and the birds of the skies come and dwell in it. That's the kingdom of God. The tares that live along in the wheat field, which is the world. And so we see again all the way through these parables, Christ is already preparing them and now the drag net, as He talks about them going to the net, and they pull in this net. And then they sit down and they begin to separate the fish. Now this is the picture that Christ is laying for them. You go, 
You have no idea whether you're going to catch anything or not. Because I am the one who determines what is the future. Everything is in my hands and in my control. And so now, all of a sudden, in one spoken word, they go from being empty and restless from all night working to now having their nets full and they're fighting to keep their nets from breaking as they're keen to drag them in to get them to safety so they can save their catch. And now comes the grand word. Here again, we see two of the apostles. Both of them tend to be leaders, I believe. One is probably much younger than the others. I think John was probably the youngest of all these apostles. Peter normally is the one we always see doing something. He's the one who always acts. Remember, John and Peter got to the uh, tomb. John kneels down. Peter comes by him and just jumps and runs in. We always see them that normally it's Peter who is doing the initial acting and it always tends to be John who is always doing the thinking. His processes are completely different. Both of them are needed. Both of them use. Both of them have their own distinct ideas and methods. Both of them apostles of God whom God uses in different ways. He's showing us the differences within the context of the men. There are those in this list already He's given to us that we know. Peter, James, John, and Andrew. We know all four of those. He tells us who Nathaniel is because Nathaniel was from Canaan where water was turned to wine. But then he says, and there were two others. Who were they? We don't know. Was it Philip? Bartholomew? You know. We do know most of those seven were all from the area. They had a closeness. But now, John, as he's working alongside of Peter in the boat, remember they're in this boat. This is not a rowboat. It's a good-sized boat. For It goes back and forth across the Sea of Galilee. They're pulling in this net. No doubt the net is getting close to being begin to break open. And they're working. And now, remember, John is the one who's thinking. It was John when he saw inside the tomb after Peter had already gone in, and he thought, Jesus must be raised from the grave. He never says anything to anybody, but we're told that. The Lord has risen. At this point, it is John who now looking at what's happening, this miracle drought of fish that they are now can't control because they're so many and so heavy. And he just says simply to Peter, it is the Lord. What kept John from jumping over the board? John was thoughtful. I don't think John was one who just automatically would jump into the water and start swimming. But Peter is. When he heard John say, It is the Lord. I have to ask the question because I'm always, when, he's, when I, I'm very conscious of that word Lord. Did, did he say, This is Jehovah? This is the Lord? 
Or did he say, Kurios, our Lord? Remember, Thomas said, my Lord and my God. No matter which way, they looked upon Christ as their Lord, their Master. Their Adonai, the one who ruled over them, who guided them, who strengthened them, the one who had called them to be fishers of men. The ones who are now to take the Word of God into the world, that is, into the kingdom of God, and proclaim the gospel to men of every kindred, tongue, and nation. And so now, when Peter hears John say, it is the Lord, I think he understands, you know, John is a pretty, pretty smart kid. This guy tends to always get it right. And so now Peter automatically, without thinking, it says he grabs his coat. Now, remember, it says he was naked. Now, that when you read Scripture, that does not always mean they have no clothes on at all. If you didn't have a top jacket on, you were considered to be naked. Okay, They all had on short kind of cotton pantaloons, if you would. If you've ever seen men in their... Uh, judo geese or you know when they in oriental wrestling and stuff you'll see they always have a cotton pair of pants under them that's kind of what the fishermen and most laborers wore and then they would have an outward garment to wear when they were out and in the breeze or in the in among other people to be we'd say to be civilized they would have clothes on and so now peter grabs his coat puts it on his on his shoulders Puts it on, and now he jumps overboard. Now, well, how deep? We're not told. It just says he was naked and he cast himself in the sea. And he begins to swim toward Christ. And now the others, now remember the sun is beginning to come up. It's being able to see clearer and clearer. All that Peter can think is, I've got to get to the Lord. He's swimming, and no doubt as he's there, he's still trying to pull that net and keep the fish moving so they won't break the net as they're going. And so now we see as they keep going, there are others now in this boat. Rather, there were two boats, like there was another boat, smaller boat, that would come along and help them now. It's not really clear, but we do know they're both together. There, there were seven or eight people with them. And so now they're pulling in this net. And notice it says, He was naked, and the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but as it were, 200 cubits. That's 100 yards away. That's a pretty good size chunk of land when you're on the ocean. But nonetheless, the water was probably nice and calm. There was not much of a breeze at this point. Everything was fine, and as they're struggling to get these fish in, Peter's thinking, well, i got to keep the net from breaking, and i got to get to the Lord. And so notice we see there are things that are going on as he's fishing. The fish are not, most people believe they were probably a type of fish that is still got very much, uh, very popular on the Sea of Galilee. It's called St. Peter's fish. They were a fish that were a good eating fish. They went from any, anywhere from generally uh, for, for eating a pound and a half to three and a half pounds. So there was a good sized fish in this net along with the others. And so now they're struggling to bring the nets 
and bring them to the shore so they can get the fish. And the other disciples now are coming. And it says in verse 9, And as soon then as they were come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid upon bread. Thereupon and bread. Now that's what I say. Some people believe they were some kind of fish cakes. Other people think they were fish and cakes or bread that Jesus had brought for them. Did Jesus miraculously brought them in? We don't know. But Jesus had had food for them. He was thinking of them. Their needs for this point in time. And so as they come, they realize, I believe, first of all, that this was a miracle. A miracle. Not in the sense that Christ had produced fish out of nothing, but again, providentially, He's in control of the oceans. He's in control of all the fish of the sea. And His providence, as He knows now, He knew where to cast the net for them to catch it when it came. Christ is in control. They are not. They had struggled all night long. No, they had not wasted time. They had learned some valuable lessons at that time in that they are to wait on the Lord. Our labor is not in vain in the Lord. Remember Christ told us when we work and we go to Him, He gives it to us uh, heaped up, pressed down, and running over. God is with us. And so our labors are not in vain no matter what we think or see. Our labor is not in vain. And so now He says again, they are Tim. They are to be done in obedience to Him. We don't look at the situation. We hear Him, the one who's giving us His commands. And so now Christ, as He's dealing with them, and Peter is looking, seeking to kind Jesus, and now Jesus says unto them, Bring the fish which ye now have caught. Notice He says, You've caught. When you think about it, Fishing is half luck, put luck in quotes. Now, nowadays we do have electronic devices that can tell us where the fish are, but even just going with a rod and reel. Remember, Christ had already told Peter and John to go down to the Sea of Galilee and take our fishing pole with him and put a hook on it, cast it in, and the first fish you come, bring it out, and it'll have gold in its mouth. Remember? to pay the taxes that they owed to the temple. So we see again, God is in control. The very hairs of our head are numbered. The fish in the seas are numbered. And what's in their mouth, God places there. And so it is, we are to trust. And this is what Christ is saying. I've called you to be fishers of men. When we look at this particular picture, this we would say, here is a parable. Now remember, parables were not necessarily true stories, but they were true to life. Like a woman who loses her bracelet that has charms from her husband in their marriage. Okay. He talks about a mustard seed. Everyone knew that the mustard seed was the smallest of all the herb seeds. It wasn't a tree, but it grew into the largest of the herbs. And then that tree would be a place for birds to build nests in. Picture of the kingdom of God in which all the different animals, speaking of all the different people of all the nations who dwell in it. See? 
Christ draws these pictures. Here, here's a living, as it were, parable now. One that they've already heard, but now they're going to have to understand it in the light of their ministries. And so now, Peter, as he brings in, he comes. And now notice some of the finite things that we learn here. First of all, as we come to verse 9, Jesus prepares a table for us. Remember David, you prepare a table before me in the midst of my enemies. It is Jesus who is our provider. He has told them, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Wherever you go, I am with you. Therefore, we are to look to Him and be dependent upon Him in everything. And now Jesus tells them, now that you've done the labor, I want you to go and bring the fish that you've caught. He doesn't mean bring every single one. Okay. But they're bringing them to shore. Now again, God provides for us. Think about God and how He God does not necessarily always treat us like the federal government just gives us a check and that's everything's good. No, God often brings us and gives us what we need, but He says to us, you need to glean in the fields. The workman is worthy of his hire. If you, again, if you think you are owed a living, it's better for you to go hungry. I will provide. But sometimes that means we need to go to the fields. God would provide and God did provide. And now they have more labor that they can fulfill with all these fish now. These fish can be used not only for their families or those about them. We're never told, did they take them to the market and take the money to their families? Did they give them to the poor? We're just told, Christ is here they are. I've given you the fish. Now you bring them and we're going to eat them this morning too. Again, the workman is worthy of his labor. We'll eat and enjoy our meal. And so now Peter, again, he drew the net to land. Now see, he's not got to Christ yet. He can see Christ. He can talk to Christ now. He's still in the water and he's pulling the weight of those fish which are on this net. A miracle, the fact of how many they caught and a miracle that the net did not break. But now notice, even the specifics. As Christ is teaching them, the, we might say, the Sea of Galilee is the kingdom of God. In it are the <clears throat> members of the kingdom of God, His people. Now, in specifically, before time, before the destruction of Jerusalem, we would speak of Israel as being the people of God. Over in Matthew chapter 12, when he talks about it, he talks about the kingdom. He says, and the kingdom, the people, the kingdom, will be cast out. He's talking about Israel who are the leaders of God's nation. They are considered God's people. But they will be cast out. This age will be cast out because they are unfaithful. And so again, we have to be careful when we're looking at these pictures. And so now we see as we look at these fish, he now says in verse 11, Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land full of great fish. So we can assume 
there was probably at least 300 pounds of fish. If these fish averaged a pound and a half, and it says they caught 153. Now there's been many people tried to make parables uh, into allegories that uh, the numbers all mean something. Uh, it's divided by three, divided by 17, etc., etc. Trying to make more than there. And I think there's a simple answer. As we labor in Christ's kingdom, we are called by Christ to go out and make disciples of all nations. There are thousands and thousands of people, billions of people since the beginning of time who are part of Christ's kingdom. But no matter how many they are, they are a finite number. Notice Jesus says when He's talking Him, they count them and there are 153 fish. And I think they wrestle with the other things and I think we wrestle sometimes our head gets worked working up and we want to find some kind of secret. Well, I think the secret here is Christ says, I have given unto my son a particular number of people. All that the Father has given to me, I have lost none of them. Now remember Christ in chapter 17 of John tells us I've lost only one has been lost, but he wasn't lost. He was never part of the elect of God, though he was called as one of the twelve of God. And he went out from them because he was not part of them. There is a specific number of people whom God the Father has given to the Son. All that the Father has given to me will come unto me. And therefore, he says, this 153 fish, all of them are distinct. Most of them are maybe this, probably the same type of fish. But sizes, whatever, they're different. And so now Christ draws from us, and we can draw from what Christ has already said. In His parable of the, of the dragnet in chapter 13 of John, He says, Again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net. The kingdom is like a net. He doesn't say the ocean is like a net. He says the kingdom is like the net. God, by His using of His net, that is the kingdom, and it's the kingdom's outreach in which catches these fish. Christ's kingdom goes forward. And we go forward as God's fishermen, as it were. We go forth proclaiming the gospel, calling and commanding men to believe. And God's kingdom now is the one is, is that which, again, is the net in which they are gathered. And so we see it pictured here for us. And they drew up together. And it's always interesting when you look at the parables. See, dispensationalists say, we're going to have a rapture and all the believers are going to get caught up out of the world. That's it. But when you read the parables, you always find, first of all, what happens in the parable of the of the dragnet. Jesus says it again, the kingdom of heaven is likened to a net that was cast into the sea and gathers every kind. I mean, all the fish there, the different kinds of fish are there. Which when it was full, they drew to shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. 
Right off, we see again the end of time when Christ returns again. There is no more time. There's nothing that can happen. Now time has come and His angels come and they separate the good from the bad. And notice He says, they put the good into vessels but cast the bad away. So shall it be in the end of the world. The angel shall come forth and sever the wicked from among the just. The first thing that is done, God says, to the goats on the left hand, depart from me, for I never knew you. In the tares, it says they first come down, the angels come down, they gather in. First of all, He says, you gather the tares and you burn them, and then you go and gather the wheat. It's always that picture. And so now we see in this kingdom parable, Christ is drawing for them a snapshot of the work that God is going to give them. They are like, again, they are the ones who are going out with the net, the kingdom of God. They are the representatives of it. They are the foundation of the new covenant church. And now they go out and now they put in the net by the proclamation of the gospel. And they know that God has given to us whoever is part of that kingdom and their work is not in, in labor. And so we see, we see picture here again. The kingdom of God is a mixed kingdom, meaning there's men of every kindred and tongue and nation. There are all kinds of people who are coming into the kingdom, but they all come through Christ. They are all called by the gospel and they are all made alive by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus tells us again, again, the kingdom is made up. And this, the angels will come in that final day and separate the good from the bad. And until Christ comes, even within the context of the kingdom, sometimes it is hard to tell the difference. There is wheat and there are tares, but we know it's still called a wheat field. And there's a coming a time in which they will be very distinctive. That's what Christ tells them. Wait. Wait till everything comes together and wait till the, the seed comes into the wheat. Then we can tell the difference between the wheat and the tares. And first of all, we'll pluck out the tares. Then we'll come back and get the wheat. And the fish, again. All these things are preparing us. And now notice what Christ tells us. In Matthew 8, now He's teaching us another picture. He says, the children of the kingdom. Now, in that context, remember Jesus comes to His own. He comes to the Jews. He presents the gospel to the Jews. And now in chapter 8, he's saying the same thing, but he's now drawing focus, and we have to understand what he said. He said, now, but the children of the kingdom, we, we would automatically say, that means that's all the believers know. In this context, he's talking to the Jews, the Jewish leaders. He says, he says to the kingdom, children of the kingdom, that is the Jews, who are the enemies of Christ. He says, I shall, you shall be cast out into outer darkness. There should be willing and national peace. He's talking about the scribes, the Pharisees, and all those who have heard the gospel but have spurned it. They're called the children of God, children of the kingdom, but they are not. And so now we see, when we look at, at what's happening in time, in the fullness of the time, God comes. When it's time's ready, Christ will come from heaven. 
There will be no more time. All the elect will be called. And now he will begin that separating of the division. And so he says in, in chapter 13, verse 49, in the drought, he says, So shall it be in the end of the world. That's when he comes in and puts his dragnet and draws in all from the history of time. But now he also tells you and I, as we go into the kingdom, why we have to be so very careful. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, is Peter telling us God wants every single individual who's ever been, uh, been born to be saved? He wants them to repent. That's not what he's saying. Notice what Peter is saying. He says, now, Jehovah, that is, the Lord is not slack concerning His promise as some men count slackness. But now notice, he says, He is long-suffering. Now, we could say God is long-suffering with the wicked. But in His not dealing with them, their, their wrath of God is built up against wrath, he says. But he says, but he's, he's long-suffering to usward. Peter is writing to the church. He's writing his words to those men who have confessed Christ, who believe Christ as their Lord and their Savior, who are sinners and been called out of sin, and they, they are called out to go into the world that hates them and proclaim the gospel to those whom the Lord will call and has given to the Son in time. And he says, so now, he's not slack, but is long-suffering to usward. Usward is the Christians. He's not talking about the, the scribes and the Pharisees, those who have hated Christ and have put Him on the cross. Those who hate God and are His enemies. But he says He's long-suffering. To those who are the, of the elect, we would say. And He's not willing that any of His elect should perish. As Christ says, All that the Father hath given to me hath come unto me. Him that comes unto me I will no wise cast out. He's in control of all things. We may not know where the fish are to be caught, but we know they're there. And we are to be obedient in casting out the nets. But now notice he says, But he's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any of his elect would perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's all of his elect. Now, Peter goes on to say in, in again, for 2 Peter 3, 5, he says, an account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Is God's long-suffering salvation to every single individual? No, it says, and again, this verb is, is in the sentence. It's, it's emphasized. The long-suffering of God is salvation. Why? Because if God was not long-suffering, He would end things right now. Those who are the elect who have not yet come would not come if God's long-suffering was not salvation. But it's because of His long-suffering toward us, because all of His elect, all the Father has given to the Son that they are not saved. And therefore salvation is, the Lord is salvation. His long-suffering is salvation. And now Paul tells us in Romans 9, what if God is willing to show His wrath and make His power known, endured with much long-suffering 
the vessels of wrath fitted unto destruction, and that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He hath afforded, had afore prepared unto glory. As Christians, we know life is not a chance. God saves His people. And now when we go out, this is what God has called us. He was calling the apostles now to put in the net and draw out of God's kingdom all of His people and separate them from the world. So it is our ministry. Christ says, all power has been given unto me in heaven and earth. Go and make disciples. We don't know where they are, who they are. We're just to go and be the ones who take the word and command men everywhere to belief. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us, for your blessings. Pray that you'd help us today. Help us to see that our salvation rests in you and our ministry rests in you. We do not save anyone. We only are those who take God's net and draw in those that the Father has given to His Son and that they might come. We become the means of the calling of those whom the Father has given to the Son. Help us to be faithful in Jesus' name. Amen.